to all the amazing moms out there. I know we too often take you for granted, but today we're going to make sure you know just how much we appreciate you. We see your hard work, the early mornings, the late nights. Being a mom is a job that never really ends. And even though it seems like we aren't listening, we hear your wisdom. We need your instruction. And we may not grasp the value today, but please never stop. Because one day, we'll see clearly just how important it all is. You've been an example of unconditional love and forgiveness. A glimpse into the heart of God. You've set a foundation for us that's not easily broken. So today, we ask God to bless you even more than we've been blessed by having you as a mom. And just so you know, that's an amazingly huge blessing. Happy Mother's Day. It's like happy emoji Mother's Day. <laughs> kind of fun. It is Mother's Day, and so we thought today for worship we would try our best to give you some of your favorites, all right? And so here you go. Nikel is one of her mom's three favorites. <laughs> Dave, if you did not know, has four sisters and he's the only boy. Guess who's the favorite in this family? <laughs> Miranda is one of her mom's two favorites. This man over here, Ryan, is one of his mom's four favorites. What, what, what? Who did I miss? Oh, my goodness. Whoops. Yeah, three. Four, four, four. And this is also your first time playing guitar for us on a Sunday morning, which is great. And there's a lot of fighting in this family over who's the favorite. There are three favorites in this family depending on the moment. So anyway, here are your favorites. Let's stand and sing. I don't deserve it. God, I hope that reality sinks into the minds, into the hearts of all of us here today, that there is truly nothing we could do to earn your love. There's absolutely nothing we could do to deserve your love. You just looked and you said, that's my kid. I want you. I love you and I like you. You're mine. Thank you so much for the love that you pour out on us. We are so appreciative. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. We're glad you chose to join us on this Mother's Day, a day that we, we honor these people in our life who nurture us and love us and guide us. Uh, just absolutely privileged to, to celebrate the day with you. The other day um, in my morning group that I meet with, guys, uh, we, we tend to, we come together and we read a scripture and then we just sit in the silence with it, much like we do on a Sunday morning. And I shared with them what has become in recent days one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 131. It says, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not concern myself with things too great or marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And he closes by saying, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 
I love that psalm for many reasons. One, it just it tells us something about the approach that we have when we come into the presence of God. Uh, eyes not too high, heart not too proud. We have this, we have this firm recognition of, of who's really God and that we are not. We are not. And then it talks about that idea of, of quieting our souls. So there, there's that sense, if you're, if you're looking at it from a mothering standpoint, we love when our child becomes self-soothing, when we don't have to be the ones um, patting the back and doing everything, but when we can actually lay the child down and the child goes, yeah, okay, I'm good, I'm good, and, and just soothes. I, I've calmed and quieted my soul. And then it says, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And I got to admit, it took me a long time to kind of catch that one. I was being a little dense, you know, like what, what's that all about? Weaned child, what, doesn't, doesn't need mom for nourishment anymore. And you know what's beautiful about that? That's the moment at which a child can just love being with mom because she's mom. You know, up until then, hate to say it, they look at you and go, feed me food. I want something from you. And this is the kind of relationship that that, that, that infant has with mom. But eventually, eventually, that child can just snuggle up in the lap and say, I'm just here because I love you. I just love being with you. And do we make that transition in our relationship with our father that we're not walking into his presence with our list? God, here are the things I need you to do today. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll see you later. But we're actually like that weaned child coming and saying, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I just want you. I just need you. And so today, I hope that, that that piece of mothering teaches you something about your father. Because that's what this is all about, right? Male and female created he, them. You know what's beautiful about this? Women and men both teach us something about the nature and character of God. Both. We, we can't have just one or just the other. We need both in order to fully understand the nature and character of God. And so today, we learn something about God through a mom, that there can come a point that we're not coming for food. We're just coming for presence. We're just coming because we love you and we love being with you. So I'd love you to take a, a minute to, to reflect on that in silence. Maybe just think about your relationship with God. Maybe, maybe mentally snuggle up in his lap just for a minute and go, I'm just here to be here. Just here to be here with you, Lord. And then we're going to move to communion and, and we're going to do something special today. It is Mother's Day, so today we thought we'd serve you. So our students and some of our student leaders will be, will be passing communion to us. Now, I don't know if anybody in your family made you breakfast today. Um, if they did, it may have been a sloppy mess. And we may do that right now, okay? We've not really practiced this through. We're going to see how this goes. But we thought it would be nice for you to just be able to sit, receive communion in your hand, take the bread, take the cup, and then just relax in God's presence. And then you can, you can take communion whenever you want during the song. And the other thing, now we have the, you know, the gluten-free stations normally. I'll, I'll, be the, I'll be the gluten provider or the gluten-free provider. So, so if, if you need gluten-free, uh, I'll, be, I'll be down here toward the front. And if you want to just uh, put up your hand, we'll make sure that the tray comes to you, okay? So let me pray, and then we're going to be uh, quiet before God. Oh, Father in heaven. We thank you for the privilege today of crawling up in your lap and being with you just to be with you. 
bring us to that point in our walk that we're not excited about being with you because we're going to get something or because we need something. But we're excited just because there's my father and I love him and I love being with him and I love just resting in his presence. Bring us there, we pray. Let's be quiet for a minute. So Kim had to go down to Springfield this week. Her, her mom has not been doing real well. <clears throat> and, uh, and they uh, spent some time looking at photos and videos and kind of checking out the past. And, and it was fun. They, they actually sent me a few along the way. It's just it's weird, you know, to, to look at your 29-year-old as a, a 2-year-old, your 27-year-old as, as literally an infant in your arms. There was one picture they sent me. I don't have it. I should have, I should have gotten it up there. But the caption would be, wow, was Dennis skinny? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who that guy? Oh, that me. My goodness. Wow. So that was kind of crazy. But anyway, our servers are coming right now to receive the offering. And as they do, um, you've got kind of a a special night going tonight? Are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, for good. sure. Uh, so we always, we fall into this trap with groups sometimes. When to cancel? What days do we take off to show respect to families and whatever? Uh, and one of those days we usually take off is Mother's Day. The problem is we take off like the Sunday, we leave for Green Lake here in like three weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in between there yeah. we have Memorial Day, which we know a lot of our families are going to be leaving on vacation. So we're like, all right, are we really going to cancel three out of the next four uh, revives? And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. So I'm going to throw a wrench in the plans. If you received the remind yesterday, um, we are going to invite moms to revive tonight. We're going to be playing some of our favorite games. Uh, we'll do a very short lesson and, and just spend some time enjoying our time with our moms here so that moms, you can see just how weird things get. All right. Uh, we are gonna... mom, does your mom know? My mom is, is coming. She's coming. She's How coming. Cool. That'll be, be fun. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. That'll be great. Uh, there's <clears throat> special plans for that that I can't uh, quite okay. lay out. Okay. But we are going to bump the time up a little bit because we know like... Well, they need naps. Yeah. They, moms need, go to bed early. You need early. a nap. You wake up from the nap and then, yeah, we've got to get to bed <laughs> early, all right? So we're going to be meeting uh, here tonight from 5 to 7.30, all right? Uh, I'll send another remind out here this afternoon. If you're not signed up for remind... If you would, go out to the welcome desk after the service today. There's a nice uh, clear sheet that gives you exactly how to start receiving Remind notifications. That's how we send out all of our information for both Revive, our high school group, and Refuge, our junior high group. Speaking of Refuge, there are only two weeks left uh, for our Refuge students before we start bumping up uh, our our new sixth graders. And again, it's yeah. like, yes. I cannot yes. believe that we are there. I know. Uh, but so two more, two more Wednesdays left before we add a whole new crop of students. And then the, uh, the first Sunday in June is when we are bringing up our, I'm sorry, the last Sunday of May is when our, we're bringing up our eighth graders into Revive. So it's going to be just a wild, wild time. Uh, we're really excited for it. So yeah, 
That's I want to reinforce what you said about remind. You you mentioned this thing pretty regularly, yeah. and I know sometimes when we when we repeat something during the announcement times, some of you start just hearing Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, you you kind of you kind of miss it. <laughs> and, mama, 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 mama. and and this thing is really. I mean, I'm signed up for it, and I love the fact that I'm I'm getting you know right to my box. There it is, letting me know what's going on. And a lot of times it is. It's kind of the last minute reminders. Yeah. It's the, you know, even like you've used it for kids coming home on trips, things yeah. like that. It's just really valuable. So please get signed up for it. And if you can't figure it out, we will help you yeah. figure it out. It is not difficult. It is not a challenging thing to sign up for. And you don't need a smartphone. You can sign up through text notifications. And then there's an easy way to, to offload once your student like leaves high school or switches from Junior high to high school, that's one big uh, issue that we want to make sure. If you have an eighth grader moving up, we want you to dump the refuge and move on to the revive. I had someone ask about this the other day because they, they, their thought was that there was like a remind. You had to sign up for like different events and whatever. You're just, it's either junior high or high school, yep. one of the two, and you're getting them for and that. Then and for you can our, sign up for both. Yeah, you and you can up. sign up for both. If, even if you don't have a student and you want to know what students are doing, yeah. you can feel free to yeah. sign up. We'd love to, to have you know that information. But then, like you said, with trips, uh, that we send the remind, this exact same notifications like, hey, we made it, or hey, we're on our way to go do whatever, um, to both groups. So whether you sign up for Refuge or Remind, when we're on a trip together, like Green Lake will be, all of our notifications and messages will be sent through that system. And then we'll encourage students to, you know, hey, text your parents, you know, we're like 20 minutes away because we don't want to send a bazillion Remind notifications and totally mm-hmm. blow up your mm-hmm. phone. But, mm-hmm. uh, but if you want that direct message, that contact from us with the uh, hopefully correct information, yeah. uh, that, that yeah. comes from us. Yeah. The other thing you've alluded to a couple times here is just how quickly the year is going. And I'm, I, I think it's probably the weather, but I, I'm telling you flatly, my, my brain thinks it's the end of March. It really does. It's kind of making me a little crazy. So yeah. like Mother's Day is today and I'm going, whoa, that means it's May. You know, and I know like Chad and Katie's wedding is this weekend. I remember looking way, way back like a million years ago and going, when that hits... The floodgates are opening, and there's going to be all kinds of activity. Yes. Green Lake, day camp, just everything's happening. And guess what? It is here. Yeah. It's here. So you got to get signed up for camp. Which I was, I was fortunate enough to go spend some time with uh, my wife's family yesterday, and I guess my family now. You know, uh, but all her her little cousins. Uh, they they had they had an event yesterday that we got to celebrate them and. As soon as I walked in the door, that was the first thing they came and said. They're like, Brian, we're signed up for Green Lake. We're so excited. And I'm like, okay, all right. Like, and the, then they, they started watching the camp video from last year. And it was so funny because neither of their faces actually make the video. But they'd pause it and be like, see, Brian, that's my arm. I made it. I'm in. That's my shoe. <laughs> like, see, this is the shoe. It's a, so, again, the, the excitement is building already. for, And they don't, they don't go to our church. So, uh, reach out to your friends, reach out to anybody who might have that elementary school age kid because you never know who, can say, who will be able to say yes. Offer to drive them if they say, mm-hmm. oh, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Offer to be that service. Offer to, yeah. to drop that student off to make sure that they're here for that week because it is yeah. going to be a wildly, yeah. wildly exciting. Got the invite cards for you. There are more at the welcome desk and you can also, as we said before, the links that arrives for you, you can forward to that to them so that they can go ahead and register right through that. Yep. So. Anything else? That's it. Thanks so much. Good stuff. So it has been said through the years by 
leaders, teachers, and even writers of Scripture that this Christian journey we're on, this journey of faith, is it's a race. It's compared a lot of times to a race, to, to just a run that we're on together, this collective run. And, you know, as you think through the Bible, and what, what, what it, why in the world would Paul and others choose a race of all things as a point of comparison for the Christian faith? I, I think of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, since we're surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses, and I, I don't know, I, when, whenever I hear that verse these days, you know, I'm imagining we're, we're on this run, we're going along, and there, there are these people lining the sides, just like a marathon, and they're cheering us, and as we're running along, you know, Roger Swank is over on this side, and it's this coach for years, and he's cheering us on saying, keep running. Dave Fry is over on this side, and he's cheering us on, and the, these people that we've known, as well as, as well as the people in the Bible, they're cheering us on in this race. It just helps to know that, that, that we've got people who are supporting us, cheering us on, wanting us to win. It talks about in this race, stripping off everything that slows you down. I mean, if, if you see runners these days, they wear as little as possible. Why? They want to be as light as possible to get there. You know, I'm carrying their backpack and all this stuff. and They, they want everything off that can weigh them down. And, and we want every sin off that weighs us down. And then it ends by saying, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we recognize that piece, that of all the pieces of a race, it requires endurance. We've, got to, we've, just, we've just got to keep going. And sometimes... It gets heavy and it gets hard, but we just keep going. We need that endurance. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And you know what? I think Paul in part is saying there to us, it's not just about running. It's about finishing. Get to the end of the race. Get to the finish line. So many people these days, you know, they're running along and I'm still like, where they go? What happened? They, they, they just kind of veer off on the race instead of continuing to run. In fact, Paul wrote to the Galatians. He says, you were running so well. What happened? Why just stop? Some of the races Brian was on was involved in, in cross country, involved parts that the kids would, they kind of run into the woods and you'd wait for them to emerge from the woods. And they'd come out of the woods and they're like, okay, he's, he's three behind the person that he was, you know, these people that he What happened there? What happened along the way that you got slowed down or tripped up and you weren't quite where you were before? We get tripped up sometimes in the race. In Philippians, he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The end of the race, there's a well-done, good and faithful servant. You ran well. So what do we do? The Bible says we run to win. We run to win. Now, having compared the Christian life to a race, you have to ask, what kind of race? What kind of race? And, of course, he's talking athletic. He's talking running. He's not talking NASCAR or something like that. What kind of race are we to run uh, we might compare the Christian life to a sprint. Run as fast as you can, as hard as you can, for as short a time as you can. Just, just put it all out there. Run fast for the next several meters, and then, and then you're done. Probably not the greatest analogy to the Christian life. We don't, want, we don't want to run well for Jesus for, for, you know, 10 yards and then stop and say, I'm, I'm done for a few weeks, and then come back and, and run again. No, probably the better analogy, of course, is a marathon. 
that 26.2 grueling miles that, that requires endurance. It requires us to just keep pressing, just keep going, don't stop. I know you're tired, I know you're depleted, just keep running. I think the problem, though, with both a sprint and a marathon is that it misses one of the most important elements of our race of faith, and that is that these are not solo runs. It's not just me running alone. It's not me and this mass of thousands of people running to win myself, but we have, we have a team of people, and we're running together. Our church has been around since 1881. That's a, that's a lot of people that have come together just in this local expression of faith throughout the years. Obviously, some of them are not here anymore. Some of them that are coming aren't here yet. No, the race that we run is really more like a relay. It's really more like a relay where we're running our particular leg. We've received the baton from someone else, and there's going to come a point that we pass on the baton to someone else. And we're just, we're a part of the team. We're all running together. I know for some of us, we're like, I'd rather run the individual sport. I want it to all depend on me. I don't want to take the chance that this person isn't going to run as well as me. Or I don't want to take the chance that all these people are better than me and that I'm not going to pull my part. But God is really calling us more toward this kind of race where we're running along and we're, and we're passing the baton to others and the baton is being passed to us and we just see this beautiful progression of the life of faith throughout. Now here's the thing I've learned about running from personal experience about 20 years ago. You get tired. You get exhausted. You, you, know, you run and you run and you run. And, and by the end, you're just like, you are depleted. These people who run that 26.2 miles, man, they come to the end, and some of them, you'll see them go, yay, they just, you know, they crash because, because they have used every ounce of everything they can. They've spilled it all out, and ultimately, they're in need of some really big help because they've depleted all of their resources. Last week, I think that's where we found Elijah. He's run a hard race. He has run a really hard race. He's given everything he can possibly give. And he comes to chapter 19 of 1 Kings. And, and you have Elijah confronted by Jezebel. And, and she says, you know, basically, he's going to be dead. Send the message. He's going to be dead within the next day. Or the gods are going to kill me. And he hears this. And the Bible says he fled for his life. He just, he just ran for this life. You're thinking, wow, this is a strong man of God. This is a man that, that called down fire from heaven. This is a man who's been involved in multiple miracles. Certainly, he's not going to cower. Certainly, he's not going to fade. But I really do believe that in this race, there comes a point that just the cumulative impact of life starts to weigh us down. We start going through stress after stress. He faced so much opposition. He was constantly calling someone out for their sin. He's going through all of this to the point that he ultimately finds himself going from one town, dropping off his assistant, going a day into the wilderness, laying down in the wilderness and saying, I'm done, just kill me, God. I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And we love what God does for Elijah there in the wilderness. The first thing he does for him is he refreshes him. He recognizes that a part of Elijah's exhaustion is, is just plain physical. This is part of our spiritual life too. 
Our body matters. This, this physical life matters. And so, so God makes him some angel food cake, and he says, it's time for a nap. Boom. And he gives him some more. And there he is, and he finally, he's finally starting to feel enough, enough life in his soul that he's able to take a 40-day journey. And he comes to the end of that 40-day journey, and, and he's there, and he's, just, he's tired, he's exhausted. And, and, and God says, I, I want to I talk to you. I want you to hear from me. And he, and he takes Elijah out onto a ledge, and there's, and there's an earthquake, and there's a strong wind. And the Bible says God was in neither, but then he just whispers to him. Don't you, don't you love sometimes when you're approached with just gentleness? Just gentleness. God, God approaches Elijah with motherly gentleness. And he hears him. And you remember, he asked Elijah, what are you doing here? And he's not asking physically, why, why'd you make the 40-day journey? God, have him make the 40-day journey. He's like, why are you here? Why, why are you at this point of the race collapsing? Why are you here? And part of his complaint is, you know, everybody's against me and I'm all alone. And he gives us this freshness of perspective to say, well, actually, you're not alone. There are thousands of other people who have still not bowed the knee to Baal. But then he does something else. He says, he says, it's time for you to have a partner. It's time for you to not be alone. You need someone. And so, and so in chapter 19, starting in verse 16, he says, you're going to go back home. And as you do, I've got some work for you to do along the way. You're going to anoint this king. You're going to anoint that king. And then, and then you're going to come to this man. And his name is Elijah. Elisha. He's the son of Shaphat from the town of Abel-Mehalah. And he's going to replace you as prophet. So in this moment, Elijah's already receiving the word. Um, your race is about done. And, and I want you to do something for me. I want you to pass the baton. You've been, you've been running long and hard. You've run, you've run a long stretch, and it is time. It's time to pass along the baton. You know what's interesting? When we think about mentoring and whatever, a lot of times we think about the need of the person receiving but truly, this is something Elijah needed. Elijah needed to be able to look at someone and say, I'm passing this to you. I'm passing what I've learned to you. I'm passing this responsibility to you. His heart needed this. So we read in chapter 19 that he finds Elisha, son of Shaphat. He's plowing a field. There are 12 teams of oxen plowing. I mean, this is, it's a pretty big operation that the family has going here. Elisha's plowing with the 12th team. Elijah comes over to him, throws his coat across his shoulders, and then walks away. I, you know, there, there's a lot in this story that I'm going, yeah, what? Okay. So, I mean, can you imagine somebody just walking up to you and going, whoop, and just, and just trotting, you know, just walk. And you're like, what in the world just happened here? What, 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 what's going on? Now, now, here's the thing. Elisha knows what's going on. This is his mantle. I mean, this has become a, 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 an English idiom, passing on the mantle of leadership from one person to another, right? He, he takes his coat and he says, voom. He doesn't use words. He uses this symbol to say, I'm inviting you. Passing the baton starts with an invitation. We invite someone to be a part of what we're doing. We just like, hey, I, I want to help you. I want to help you along the way to learn something, to learn something I know that you don't learn yet. And there are all kinds of ways that we pass the baton. We pass the baton of faith to our children and to people that we love, to people that we know. 
We, we pass the baton of parenting. Someone's, someone's a new parent, and you've been around for a while. And, you know, I think a lot of times we look and go, oh, but I parented in a different era. Hey, guess what? Kids are still kids. They're still kids. There's still a lot of things there. You can be involved in, in passing the baton in terms of helping somebody newly married. You've been around for a while. You know the pitfalls, and you're able to come alongside. And, you know, it even goes for this row right down here. I mean, we have kids who are graduating this year. How are they doing? Passing the baton along to a next generation of students in, in, uh, in Revive. So we're always looking for people that we can invite, people that we can throw the coat on. Boom. Hey, I want you to come along with me in this. Robert Putnam observed when volunteers are asked why they happen to get involved in their particular activity, the most common answer is somebody asked me. And conversely, when people are asked why they don't volunteer or donate, they say nobody asked. How are we doing it? Just throwing the quote out there. Come along. Invite the person to be part of the relay. It says Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah. And, you know, he's like, okay, this coat thing. We got to do something. He said, wait, 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 wait. First, let me go and kiss my father and kiss my mother goodbye. And then I'll go with you. Now, we know the New Testament. You know, we know there's a point that, that Jesus basically says, no, you're not doing that. You're just coming now or, or forget it. And so you wonder what, what reaction Elijah's going to happen. And Elijah's reaction is, well, go on back. But think about what I've done for you. You do that. Some, some have suggested that, that the, the kiss of mom and dad is in contrast to those who were kissing the statue of Baal. So in other words, there was, there was family loyalty here. There was love and he cared about his family. Go on back, but think about what I've done. See, baton passers are great at meeting us where we are and taking us where we need to go. He didn't say, you should be over that by now. What's your deal? He said, okay, that's where you are. That's where you are. I get that. I want to meet you where you are to take you where you are not yet. I want to I take you somewhere on this journey. Will you join me in this journey? Let's go together. But, but I'm going to meet you where you are. I see your potential, but I also see where you are today. And I meet you today and take you where you are yet to go. That question, that comment at the end, go on back, but think about what I've done for you. This is what I love about baton passers. Baton passers make us think deeply. Most of us, most of us are pretty good. We live kind of at the surface. It's almost like we don't have, we don't have enough energy to really take it deep, right? We're just always living on the surface of what's happening. I got to drive home now. I got to go to work. I got to make the widgets, whatever. We're living on the surface all the time. And a baton pastor is great at kind of saying, yeah, you're doing that, but why? What's that about? And, you know, a great baton pastor, when they ask you a question, you kind of sit there and go, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. That's what baton pastors do. They're helping you to realize something inside or something outside, something about God that you weren't thinking out before. And, and, and they're, they're pulling you along in the race. They're saying, come on, run with me, run with me. So it's funny. Oh, here's what Elisha does next. He returns to his oxen and he slaughters them. He kills them. He uses the wood from the plow. So he breaks the plow. He builds a fire to roast him. Then he passes around the meat to townspeople, and they all ate. And then Elijah, Elisha went to be Elijah's assistant. You wonder what's going on here. First of all, he wasn't, he wasn't doing a sacrifice. He wasn't doing a sacrifice. It's kind of like he's throwing his own goodbye party. You know, he's, this is his own graduation party. Hey, got some oxen here. He wasn't going to need these anymore. He's about to be an assistant to the prophet and ultimately a prophet himself. 
This is, this is early version of burning bridges, right? He's basically saying, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. I'm moving on from here to there. You got to understand, Elisha, for his time, Elisha comes from a pretty wealthy family. To have 12 oxen in your family, you were a pretty wealthy family. So for the person receiving the baton, what we need to understand is that receiving the baton comes at a price. We get invited by somebody, come be part of the relay with me. I want to teach you, I want to bring you from where you are to where you need to be. And there comes a point along the way that some of us kind of go, this has cost too much. It's too much work. I, I don't want, no, I, I want it easy. I, I like, you know, I, I want a lazy boy sort of, sort of spirituality. I don't want to be tough. Elisha's realizing he's got some things to give up if he's going to be part of this relay. So the passage ends, he becomes Elijah's assistant. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I hear this and I'm like, okay, now I can't wait to learn about Elijah's technique for passing the baton. What does he do? What are the lessons along the way? You know, Jesus gives parables. He, he has him go on assignments. He's doing all these things. What's Elisha, Elijah doing with Elisha to bring him along in the race and pass the baton? So, go to chapter 20. You know, in chapter 20, it's about Ben-Hadad attacking Samaria and Ahab defeating Ben-Hadad. There is not a mention of Elijah or Elisha in this chapter. That's a bummer. It's a long chapter, too. My goodness, 43 verses. No mention. Chapter 21. We come into this Naboth's vineyard. Ahab sees the guy. He likes his vineyard. He wants his vineyard. He gets pouty about it. I want his vineyard. He won't give it to me. Jezebel says, I can take care of that. And before you know it, he's got the vineyard. And then, oh, there's Elijah. Elijah shows up and he says, because what you did, you're dead. But we don't, there's no mention of Elisha in chapter 21. Not one word about Elisha. Just Elijah, no Elisha. Well, certainly he's in chapter 22. Chapter 22, neither of them. Neither of them. Where, where'd they go? Oh, we're in a new book now, 2 Kings. All right, 2 Kings. Uh, there, there's, there's Elijah. Elijah, he's, he's, he's confronting another wicked king. This story is kind of fascinating, too, where, you know, these soldiers are being sent out to him, 50 soldiers, and Elijah just says, fire, boom, 50 are gone, and fire, boom, 50 more are gone, and it's just, okay, wow. No, Elisha, what's going on here? I mean, I want the technique. I want to know the stories. I want the manual. I want to know what's happening along the way here. Finally, 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 in 2 Kings chapter 2, we see the name Elisha again. Thank goodness. Here's what I learned about all that silence. Baton passing is both intentional and informal. You know, there there are parts of baton passing that we're saying, we're going to meet and we're going to talk. And there are parts of baton passing where where we're not saying anything. You're just watching what I'm doing. We're, We're just, it's, what is it? It's living life together. Baton passers live life together. It's why it's important that we're together. We can't live life together if we're not together. Part of baton passing is instructive. Listen and learn from my words and wisdom. I know a few things. You don't know them yet, you will. Either by listening or by being hit in the head. Either way, you're going to learn them. So why don't you listen? It's also illustrative. Just watch my life. Watch what I, you know, when it comes to baton passing, do as I say, not as I do, don't cut it. It just doesn't work. 
You don't say, this is what you should do, but I do differently. It doesn't work that way. And as we've already said, it's invitational. Be with me. Just be with me. We, we, if we're going to run this race together, you've got to be with me. So we come to this chapter, chapter 2. And this chapter, if you get a chance to read it through, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of weird. Again, it's, they're, they're on a journey together, and you're kind of like, what in the world? There, there are pieces going on here that just kind of, you're wondering, ah, something, I'm, something missing. I'm trying to figure, okay. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elisha and Elijah were traveling from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has told me to go to Bethel. So here I just said it's about being with, and you have Elijah saying, no, you stay here. You, you just stick around here. I, some suspect that Elijah knows that he's about to die. He's about to go to heaven. And he believes that he's supposed to go off alone to meet his maker. Don't know why, but he says, no, you wait here. What does Elisha say? As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they go down to Bethel together. So he says, I'm sticking with you, man. I, I, I'm sticking with you. And then, and then in verse 3, you have this group of prophets from Bethel. They come out to Elisha and say, did you, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? And, and Elisha says, of course I know. Be quiet about it. Another translation says, just be still. Just, just be quiet. You know, again, reading this, kind of, okay, this is, you're going, you don't want me to go, but I'm going to go. The prophets know he's going to go. Uh, okay, anyway. Well, just in case it didn't make sense to you the first time. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has told me to go to Jericho. Guess what Elisha says? As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went to Jericho together. And guess what they find in Jericho? A group of the prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know it, but be quiet about it. Just be still. Is this making sense to you yet? I, you know, I'm looking for this masterful mentoring, and you know what I'm hearing? Uh, I need to go do something alone. No, I'm coming with you. I'm, I'm sticking with you, man. Hey, you know he's going away? Yeah, I know he's going away. Well, okay. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. What do you think Elisha's going to say? As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Let me give you a map just so you can see how this thing is going. Here's, here's the travel of this day. I mean, this is, this is a journey. They're going a bit, okay? What do you think comes next? Prophet time, right? But this time it's a little different. Fifty men from the group of the prophets also went and watched at a distance. Now, now this is what I love. When the writer does this, this is a way of saying, you, you thought you knew what was coming. You thought that there were going to be guys saying, hey, do you know your master's going away today? But it didn't happen that way. The rhythm is broken. Fifty men from the group of the prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stepped, in, stepped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded up his coat and he struck the water. Boom. The river divided and the two walked across on dry ground. Imagine being one of the 50 watching that. I mean, what a thing to observe. And then it says, when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. These moments, these moments are beautiful. These moments when someone knows they're about to not be here anymore. And they're like, is, is, there, is there anything else? Is there anything we've missed? Is there one more thing I could say? Is there one more thing I can do? How can I help you? What can I do? 
Bataan pastors have a strong sense of the moment. They get this moment matters. A lot of times we don't get that it matters. We're just kind of floating along. And they're like, no, you need to stop and pay attention. This moment matters. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha says, please, send, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now, again, kind of a bizarre request. What is a double share of Elijah's spirit? What's he, you want to be twice as good as Elijah? You want, you want twice the power? You want twice the miracles? It was really his way of saying, bless me. Bless me so that I can be like you. Bless me so that I can carry on the ministry you've already been carrying on. And, and Elijah's response is kind of strange. He says, yeah, that's a tough one. You've asked me a tough one. Um, if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you'll get your request. If you don't, then you won't. Now, remember what he's already been doing. You stay here. You stay here. You stay here. If you see me when I go, you'll get the double portion, but you stay here. What's going on there? I think in part, Elijah is saying, it is not my place. It is not my place to declare what's going to happen. This is up to God. This is up. I'm leaving this in the hands of God. If you're here when it happens, certainly this is what God desires. And, and I love the way the next verse starts because it says, as they were walking along and talking. Here, here it is. This, is. this is baton passing at its best, just being present with each other. Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn up by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried, my father and my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of, of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elijah Elisha tore his clothes in distress. And then Elisha picked up Elijah's coat. Can you imagine this moment? You know, he walks over and there's the coat. There's that mantle. And he goes over and he picks it up. It had fallen from the sky. Here it is. He picks it up. And Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. What do you think is going through his head right now? Should I kayak? Did I get ready to get wet? I, I, he, he's going to test this thing out. Did I get the double portion or not? And he folds up the coat and he hits the water. And at that time he says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He's in other words saying, are you with me, God? Are you here? Are you with me, God? The river is divided and Elisha walks across. And this group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened. They exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Baton passed. Passed cleanly. Passed beautifully. Passed perfectly. Baton passed to a next generation. I'd love for you to spend some time this Mother's Day asking yourself the question, who has passed the baton to you? And in a sense, there are many batons, right? I mean, there's the baton of faith. There might be the baton of parenting. There's a baton that's been involved in your career. There have been people along the way that have taught you, mentored you, brought you along the way, and then they've said, all right, get ready. Here it comes. Boom. Grab the baton you ran. And, and spend some time in gratitude over those people. Maybe for you, it's a mom or a mother figure. There's been someone who just, you know, this is the person who gave you something you would not have otherwise. When I think of a baton, I, I can't help but think of these two folders. These are my Roger Swank folders. 
This is my baton. I mean, it's got everything in here. It's, it's got, he's got poems that he's passed along the way. He's got, he's got uh, Bible lessons that he's written up. He's got church policies. He's got all this stuff. He's got an article that he submitted to a magazine. All these things. It was a baton that basically along the way, this folder built over 20-some years of just pieces of paper along the way and talk along the way. Who passed the baton on to you? And then comes the hard part. Who is the recipient of your baton pass? Who are you running with? You're like, I'm a sprinter. I don't do that. I'm into marathons. Much more spiritual. You know? Who in your life are you saying, there's going to come a day, and I want to reach back. And when I do, I want to feel a hand take that baton. Who is the recipient of your baton? Who's maybe already received one you passed? Who are you looking around saying, there's someone I need to walk alongside with, run alongside with, help, train. Baton passing is huge, folks. In a community of faith, we've got to pass the baton. We've got to pass it. We're not here because, because we did this. You know what I mean? There have been people that have been part of this church since 1881 that passed the baton to us. There have been people that have been part of the church of Jesus Christ since Pentecost that passed the baton to us. And we don't want this happening. We don't want our generation to be the generation that goes, oops, like the lady in Titanic. Oops, drop. What happened? There's a statement that's been made. I, I think it's a little extreme the church is always one generation away from extinction. It, it kind of contradicts Jesus who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I get the concept. The church exists because one generation passes it to another, to another, to another. One generation to the next, to the next. And while the global expression of the church of Jesus Christ will continue, it is quite possible that a local expression will be extinguished. It is possible that even a national presence will be extinguished. We can look throughout the world at places that sent missionaries to America who now do not believe in God. We have a baton-passing responsibility with the next generation of people who will raise up in Shanahan, Joliet, and, and bring the gospel to people and help them to grow in faith. Will we continue the legacy and pass the baton to the next generation? This is so vital. The key, of course, is the way we pass the baton. We've got to actually believe there is one. And that it is our responsibility to be doing this. That sprinting and marathoning are great. But this race we run, it's about passing, passing what we have to another generation and another and another. And so even this Mother's Day, you may look at your own parenting and wonder, how am I doing with this? It's funny to have grown children now and to have them call and say, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I'm kind of like, man, I, I was sure. I was sure I must have taught you. Nope, I pretty much did it myself. Pretty much. That, that could have been, a, I'm watching my neighbor yesterday. He's got this uh, like 10-year-old little football player son. <clears throat> he's, and he's out there with the lawnmower. And he's showing him, let's go. And he's like, no, not that way. I like the pattern this way. And he's, he's doing all this. And, and in our family, dad liked to cut the lawn. And so the kids didn't have to cut the lawn until they ended up buying a house. 
And I look at that now and go, I liked cutting the lawn, but how was that in terms of passing a baton to the next generation? There are lots of things we can do ourselves and do it well, but is this really the goal of what's happening in our community of faith? Not that I can do it well. Not that this is my moment, but am I preparing for a next generation to do this as well? I love what we did this morning, just having our our leaders show our students how to pass communion. I got to tell you, if you've never passed communion, if you've never collected an offering, you think it's just simple stuff, right? I get get like all muddy-headed when I'm doing it, man. It's, It's like a mess. Something as simple as that, the opportunity to go, here, let me show you how to run. And eventually this baton is yours. And so we've always got our eyes open asking ourselves, am I a sprinter running fast, short and alone? Am I a marathoner running with the herd but only because I want to beat them? Or am I on a team of people that are making sure that generation after generation after generation has the opportunity to come into a relationship with God and grow in their faith? Father God in heaven, I pray that we would be a relay church, that we would run to win, but we wouldn't run for an individual prize. We'd run for the prize of being part of the church of Jesus Christ that cares that there's a next generation and a next generation and a next generation of Christ followers. Give us the eyes that look beyond ourselves to see the ways that we can help others to go from where they are today to where they need to go. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So glad you were here today. See you next week.